You are listening to Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online with me, Sarah Tasker. This is episode 17. So it's just me this week answering your questions from Twitter and Instagram and from the people that sent them to me in messages and emails. I'm going to get through as many as I can and there's going to be a ton left over I reckon so if you like this episode you can let me know and I will do a second one and answer some more of the questions or if you don't find it helpful and it's difficult to listen to tell me that too and then I will know not to make too many more of them. I'm just going to dive right in and hopefully I will pronounce people's usernames right. Okay so the teapot explodes asked me on Instagram what do you do when you feel disheartened and lose your mojo? This is a really good question it's one I get a lot of the time because it's something we all go through as creatives I think even if you're not on Instagram whatever it is you're doing whether you're a writer or a photographer or a florist there's always going to be times when you just feel like it's not working and it's not going in the direction you want so for me on Instagram the first thing I do is I try and reconnect that usually means starting a conversation on my feed about something that really matters to me so maybe parenting or mental health or even just Instagram and how it's working and if you don't have much of an audience to do that on Instagram you can go and hunt out those conversations happening on other people's accounts look up hashtags around things that are important to you and get involved in terms of inspiration I tend to get a lot of mine via Pinterest now it used to be Instagram but for me the change in the algorithm and more so the way the algorithm has changed what people create has limited how much inspiration I'm able to take from it I don't know if you guys relate to that it's something that I'm tackling a bit in my new course actually so not to self-promote but I'm trying to show people how you can still make pictures that will engage people without you having to sacrifice your sort of individual taste and your own unique take on things and then finally I remind myself about ebb and flow that's my instagram mantra it's my creative mantra in fact i'm even looking at printing some cards that say it so i can give them out to my students because i've been on instagram now for four years and in that time i've had days when i felt on top of the world days when it's all been going my way and days when it feels like it's just all going down the toilet and i've seen other people climb to ridiculous dizzy heights and then drop down and kind of lose that engagement again so everything is always in a real state of flux and change and there's really no reason to believe that anything bad is permanent any more than any of the good things are permanent so I just keep riding the waves let it ebb and flow and literally on the days when it feels like it's a real ebb I just repeat to myself ebb and flow ebb and flow let it ebb and flow Ray Sunnell says any thoughts on how to turn a blog into a website still with the blog promoting you and your services especially if those services are quite different from each other but united by the ultimate why of your business or blog So step one is to just make the pages. Until you have them up there, you've no idea how people will respond, how many people are waiting for you to do it even. So go ahead and just jump in and do it and put it out there. And then I would start blogging around all of the areas that you're offering those services in. So it's a bit like what Janet Murray talked about in last week's episode, telling the story around your business. So I coach and I teach about Instagram. So things I've blogged about recently are how to get your photos off your DSLR camera and onto your phone, because I know that that's a problem a lot of my students hit upon. I've shared some key lessons that I've learned from mentoring. I've written about my thoughts on the Instagram shadow bands, etc. If the services you're offering are truly your interests, then I think it's only natural that you want to talk about them and that your readers will engage with that. Remember that most of the time our target audience is a lot like ourselves. They just don't have our expertise. I think I got that from Tara Swiger. 
So your right people won't be turned off by hearing you talk about whatever it is you're going to be doing. And then if you want to take that over to something like Instagram, it's much easier because you can talk about the blog posts rather than having to talk directly about the services. And you start to build up that expertise around everything you know so that people understand that it's part of your service. North Wanderings said, can you please touch on how to write the best bio? What's the ideal length? What key elements should be included? Buzzwords? Thank you. So I'm assuming that she means for Instagram. I think that's where the question came from. So the principles probably apply across most of social media, but on Instagram, you have a character limit of 160 characters. So first thing is to make them count and use as many of them as you need to, and really as many as you can. First thing then is include keywords for whatever it is you do. So when somebody types something into search and they click on people, the people that will come up at the top are people that have those search terms in either their username or their bio, or I think in a lot of the posts they use, I think they consider that as well. So for example, if I wanted to be known as an iPhoneographer, I could put myself higher up that list by changing my username to Sarah Tasker iPhoneographer, making sure I use the word iPhoneographer at least once in my bio, maybe iPhoneographer and iPhoneography, and posting pictures where I hashtag them with iPhoneography. So whatever it is you're doing, whether you're a blogger or you sell children's clothing or you make knitwear, Include that in your bio in the kind of words that you think people are going to be searching for. So that's not using the specialist terms that you know within the industry, but using the terms that people are likely to be looking for who want to find you and who you want to follow you. Next, include a call to action. So that means if you have a link in your profile, which hopefully you do for whatever it is you're trying to share, tell people what that link is and why you want them to click on it. So for mine, it could say get free Instagram help at my blog at and then there's the URL. If you just put something like blog or shop, it doesn't entice people to click in the same way. They don't have a reason to do it. So that's what a call to action is all about. It's giving people a reason to do it and telling them why. And there's lots of research that says that actually direct people like that with that really directive language has a huge impact on the amount of clicks you will get. So being passive and just leaving it there versus saying click this link has a psychological effect that will make more people click through. And then the other thing I say is just don't be mysterious. It can be really tempting to be a bit MySpace and we're all guilty of this sometimes because we do it in our captions too. We try and sound kind of like cool and distant and aloof and sometimes people do that in their bio and they keep it super minimal and if your right people are going to respond to that if your right people are very minimal then perhaps that's the right thing to do but for most of us it can make us seem a bit unapproachable and it can make it harder for people to connect with us and social media is all about building connections so I always say try and be personal and try and be quite explicit don't assume that people will know what you are or who you are. Sky Manson said I'm building a website at the moment and trying to work out how to keep people interested will a regular newsletter that doesn't appear on the site and has links and recommendations drive more traffic to the site and my Instagram or do blog posts with story writing and images so I would say if you only have time for one sky which it sounds like that's what you're saying then go for the blog posts that's because blog content is searchable it's evergreen it's really long lasting all the things that Kat talked about in her episode with me so if you put that out there it's going to stay out there for a really long time and keep bringing people over to your blog in the future whereas newsletters are only relevant for a really short window of time then they tend to get deleted and they've disappeared forever also if you're still building an audience up you're probably unlikely to have that much of a subscriber list to send anything out to anyway and regular blogging will help you to build that up 
if you start to find that you're building a mailing list and you still don't really have time to be compiling fresh content for it, it might be okay to send people your blog posts and your Instagram posts as like a monthly digest with links to all of it so they can catch up on anything they've missed as well. You can think outside of the box a lot of the time with newsletters. So if you don't have time to be creating super regular content, but you want to be building that up and getting people engaged with your emails, just think about something else you could send that is not hugely labor intensive for you but is of high value to the people who are subscribing. So could you share, you know, six favorite pictures you've seen other people post on Instagram that month? And that would literally just mean you saving six pictures as you're on Instagram over the course of a month, screenshotting them and linking to the people who created them. Living in the tension says she has two questions. Number one, how do I find more like-minded souls on Instagram when I just seem to get followed by lots of American mummy businesses? So Finding like-minded souls is a labor of love on Instagram and it's something that you cannot automate and you can't really shortcut. You have to be a human doing human interaction to really find them because only you will know them when you see them and it's a really hard thing to put into terms. So there are a few ways to stumble across those people. Hashtags is a really obvious one. Hit on hashtags where you really like the feed, where what you're seeing really resonates with you and kind of dive into those images click around, see whose profiles are there and start to follow people. Don't be afraid of following quite a lot of people at that point because you're just trying to find who you can connect with and who's going to connect and resonate back. Whenever you find a page that does feel super relevant to you, if you go next to the following, there's a tiny little arrow button and when you tap on that it then will suggest to you other accounts that are similar so it knows that they're relevant based on factors like how much of their content is similar to the page that you're looking at and how many people like pictures from both of those pages how many followers they have in common how many hashtags they maybe overlap with so they're usually quite accurate and it's usually a really good way of tapping into a whole little community. Quite often I will find if you look at any of my kind of Insta friends and you tap on that following, they all are linked. They're all kind of like a paper trail through the whole community and you can end up following a lot of people who know each other that way. If you're not finding anything under hashtags for your people, think about where they go. So if they're not geographically specific, maybe you have a business that's worldwide, so you can't just look at your local park, for example, but you can think about the shops they go to, the places they might go to on holiday, and look for those places. Go over to the location search, type them in, and scroll through and look for the kind of images that resonate, that feel like they are coming from your right people. So for example, I might think that people who shop at Anthropology are my target customers. So I could type in Anthropology London or Anthropology New York and just go and look at the pictures people have taken and tagged there and find somebody who feels like a really good match. And then I can use that suggested followings downward arrow to investigate other users who are like them who maybe haven't tagged a picture from Anthropology New York, but have a similar aesthetic or similar interests. Question two from Living in the Tension was, I'm looking to find community with creative mothers, especially musicians. When photography is not my strong point, how can I do that? So one thing I always say for Instagram is focus on your photography. Even if you feel like it's not a huge strong point for you, try your best to strengthen it. Whether that is watching YouTube tutorials or setting yourself a challenge to take so many photographs a day, you can improve, you will improve. It's like any other skill and you will only get better by believing you can and kind of pushing yourself too. The reason I say to do that is because Instagram is a visual platform. It isn't Twitter where we get by on our words. 
it isn't Facebook where we chat with people we already know and share those connections. Instagram is about connecting through imagery. So you need to be able to take a picture that reflects the message you want it to. There are accounts that grow on Instagram kind of despite their photography. And usually that's because they have super engaging captions or they already have an audience somewhere else and people are following them along to support them on Instagram. But 99% of the accounts that do build a decent audience on Instagram do it through, first and foremost, having really striking pictures that grab people. So you can use the strategies I talked about for question one to find creative mothers and musicians. And you can look at things like baby music groups or maybe festivals that are happening for parents who are creative. Um, I know that there's some of those in the UK, things like natural mamas. But the problem is going to be that when they come over to your page, if your pictures don't grab them and make them want to follow you, that you're not going to build a lasting connection with them. So I know that this doesn't quite answer your question because you're asking how you can do it when photography is not your strong point. But my answer has to be make it a stronger point. It doesn't have to be the world's best photography. You don't have to become a professional photographer, but you just need to be able to take pictures that you feel like other people are going to be able to see you in so that when they land on their page, they're going to think, okay, I know this person and I know that she's for me. Red Summerhouse said, my question is about blogging. I need to start blogging soon as part of my whole business plan, but I don't know how to introduce myself to the world. I'm an introvert by nature and preference, and I don't have an instinctive feel for putting myself out there. Your wisdom is needed. This is a question I get a lot, either in relation to Instagram or in relation to blogging. And my advice for this is always to just start. Like that can be terrifying, but the thing that we do, and especially as introverts, is we prefer to hold back and think that we're planning and perfecting and getting ready. And actually a lot of the time those are just excuses we're telling ourselves to stop ourselves from taking the leap. So the first thing to do is to just post something and see how you feel about it and see how people respond to it. And if it's a new blog, you've probably got a really small audience. You've probably got a handful of people, including your mum, who are reading it. So it's not as vulnerable as it might seem. That fear we have that the whole world is going to immediately see our first blog post never comes true because until you tell people it's there and build that audience up, nobody's looking. And actually the question here that you're asking sounds to me like it could be the perfect topic for your first blog. So sharing how you feel, talk about what you're struggling with and how vulnerable it feels. Because if you're feeling it, then it's likely lots of others who are like you will feel it too. And then that immediately helps the readers to know that your writing is for them. And from there, you can kind of start to judge how you feel. Did it feel okay to have put that out there? Did the response you get feel okay? Or did it feel like it was actually going a little bit too far for you? You put a bit too much of yourself out there and you need to rein it back in next time. Remember with blogging, you can go in and edit it as well at any time. So literally you can press publish and half an hour later, if you have a total freak out, you can take it back down again and it's pretty much gone forever. Sometimes I will write something and it will just feel way too vulnerable. So I will shelve it. I'll save it as a draft and it might never see the light of day or... It might come out a year in the future when I feel tons better about it. It no longer affects me. One of the things I've learned from my coaching with um, Sass Petherick is she talks about 
sharing things when other people's reactions don't matter to you anymore. So if it feels like you're going to put it out there and if people criticize you, that's going to really hurt you, then it's probably still too raw and too fresh and not a good thing to blog about. But if you can put it out there and think, well, it doesn't matter if people agree or disagree and I've got answers to either side of those arguments, then you've probably processed it enough to be in a place where you can share it with the world and deal with anything that comes from it. But I always think the best writing on a topic that feels close to our heart happens while it's close to our heart, while we're in the moment. And also I think that's a kind of therapy. So I would always say, write it first and foremost for yourself, save it, and then think about whether you want to share it or not. It's always hard to press publish if you're an introvert, but the rewards are really big, not just for your business, but for yourself. The lesson I've learned time and time again is that when it feels super scary to press send on a piece, those are the ones that really matter, that will resonate with others and that will have the widest reach. So Christy Anne book wifery, wifery, book wifery probably. This might sound like a silly question, but could you talk more about how people follow hashtags? This part has always confused me since it doesn't seem like you can follow hashtags the way you follow accounts. Whenever I've wanted to look at a certain hashtag collection, it seems I first have to click on the explore tab, then click on the search bar, then find the hashtag key and then type the hashtag in. Is there an easier way to do this? Yeah, so this is a really good question. There are no silly questions anyway, but this is an excellent one because I talk about following hashtags a lot and I assume people know what I mean, but of course not everybody will. So when I talk about following a hashtag, what I really mean is a hashtag that people visit on a regular basis. Usually that is simply by clicking on it. So maybe they will use it in their own posts and then they will click on it and go straight to the page and have a look at what else people are posting. They may well go to the explore tab and type it in as well. You don't need to use the hashtag key by the way to do that. You can just type the word and hit hashtags at the top and it will automatically show you. So that makes it slightly quicker and it will remember things you type in frequently. So if there are certain tags you're visiting a lot, you normally just have to tap in the search bar and then tap on the one that comes up. But most of the time, I visit hashtags that I am using. The reason that I do that is kind of twofold. One, I'm trying to use hashtags that have a similar aesthetic to me and are used by people who post similar content to me and content that I like. So if I have tagged something with one of my favorite hashtags, I want to go and explore that feed and see what else people are posting that day. That's a really good way for me to find new content, new people to follow and engage with people who are like me. Also bear in mind that hashtags still at the moment are chronological. So it can make more sense when you've just posted to go and see what else is new under the hashtag with people who are currently online like you and engage with them than it can to go straight to your home feed because the posts you see on there can quite often be up to like 12, 24 hours old. The other reason that people do it is it seems like that's a good thing in terms of the algorithm. If you're using hashtags and participating in the hashtags seems to increase your sort of goodness score. And I think it's just a generally polite way to behave. If you're going to use a hashtag to promote yourself, then give back a little bit and go and contribute to people in the hashtag who are also doing that and they'll return the favor. So yes, you don't need to click follow. You don't need to do anything formal when I say follow a hashtag I really just mean it's a tag that you find yourself drawn to and engaging with quite frequently because it feels like a good place for you to be. Susie Lee Knitwear said she would like to know what is a good mix of ideas for product promotion versus interesting content mix for a blog that is within her website. So if it's a personal type blog which I'm guessing it is for you Susie because your brand name is your own name so it's all about you and your creative process then I wouldn't even separate the two. You sharing what you're working on or you sharing a trip to the coast or you sharing your lunch or you sharing the process of you shooting your new lookbook 
All of that just comes under the heading of you sharing your daily life. People who are going to enjoy the content will like it because it's the behind the scenes and a look at your creative lifestyle and they won't feel like they're being sold to or promoted at because that's really not your intention. You're just sharing your whole journey. But what you will do along the way is sort of incidentally promote your brand and promote your products because you'll be showing them being made. You'll be showing how that trip to the seaside ended up inspiring the colours you chose for your next collection. Or you'll be sharing how you're having a really slow day and you can't feel motivated or whatever else. But it adds to the big picture of you making. It establishes you in people's mind as that maker. With blog posts for any purpose, I always say to think about the value that you're leaving the reader with. So a post that is just like a list of new products in your shop would be super low value. There's not much that they can take away from that. Whereas a post sharing photos from a nature walk, maybe that you've brought artifacts back from and then you've used those to turn into patterns, shared how that process happens would be super high value and really inspiring and stay with people a long time afterwards. And then, of course, you link to those items later on and you're mentioning them so organically that you sort of automatically promote your work. It comes down to thinking about sort of what you would like to read on somebody else's blog. And if you wouldn't read a post that was purely someone saying, I've made this new thing, please buy it, then think of other ways to share that message. Could you talk about how you made it? Could you talk about why you made it? Could you talk about problems you had along the way with making it? Could you tell a story using the item and how you imagine someone who buys it might use it? Something that gives a real sense of value, something that people would read even if they weren't interested in the product is usually the way to go. Photo Suburbia said, is it okay to not know where your account is headed? Because that one definitely applies to them. So it is, of course it is. It's okay to do absolutely anything you want on the internet. There are no rules and it's fine to not have a really clear direction. But what you do need, I think, is a hope or a dream or an ambition for your account. This is one of the first things we talk about on my course, The Insta Retreat, because so many people come to me thinking that they just want to grow. They just want a big audience, more followers, more likes. But my question is always, well, why? What do you want to do with that audience once you've got it? Do you want to sell to them? Do you want them to come over and read your blog? Do you want to use them as a way to gain leverage and get published in another arena? Do you want to educate them on a social issue that's super close to your heart? There's no right or wrong reasons, but you need to kind of have that dream. You need that aim in mind because it will inform how you grow, who you decide to attract, and then ultimately whether you succeed or not. It's why you see those huge accounts sometimes who are really struggling to turn it into something profitable because a big audience doesn't always equate to achieving our goals and you need to build the right audience for whatever it is you want to do. Usually I find that we do know deep down what it is we want but sometimes we find it really hard to put a name to it because it can feel way too big or too lofty and we feel like who am I to want that? So just do it anyway, just admit it quietly to yourself. You don't have to hold yourself accountable to it, you never have to achieve it if you change your mind or if it doesn't become what you want it to be but you have to give yourself that direction to work in to kind of keep yourself motivated and to make sure that you're building the right kind of audience. So for example, an audience that maybe wants coaching with me for Instagram is very different to an audience that wants to buy children's wear or that wants recipes for gluten-free living. Now, if I don't know quite early on which one of those things I want to be and I build the wrong audience, then I'm really stuck and it's going to be very difficult to transition those numbers into something meaningful for a different type of business. 
And I say business and I know that not everybody is using Instagram specifically for that purpose, but I tend to think of whatever it is we're doing in our creative pursuits as a potential business, not from a money perspective necessarily, because I know that that's not what everybody's looking for. But if you want a really successful blog or if you want to write the book of your dreams or if you want to share your message about gluten-free living and you're really passionate about that, you kind of need to think like a business anyway. You need to think about marketing and think about reach and think about how you really engage that audience. Crust Pies PT, I think, or Crust Pie Spot maybe, said my most unanswered question about Instagram is how do I get more engagement? How do I get conversations started on my posts? I get comments but not many and usually not anything that merits a response more than a thank I guess this is because I don't have a big following yet and I'm not sure how to improve that either. So if you are looking for more comments, which I think is a great aim, really good way to connect with your audience, really good way to enjoy Instagram more, to have those conversations, it makes it so joyful. Thing to do is to start conversations that matter to you. Now I'm not necessarily saying that you don't do that already, but if you're struggling on any platform with connecting with people, sharing something that feels a bit more personal and that resonates is always the solution. So for example, you might say, I'm really struggling with fatigue lately, no matter what I try, anyone got any suggestions? And that is way more answerable than you just saying, oh, Monday, so tired, and maybe posting like a sleepy emoji. It's the same sentiment, but you opening it up, being a bit more honest and vulnerable, and adding a question will get people talking. Because immediately someone can say, yes, I tried cutting out caffeine and it really helped. Or I think the answer is having 12 espressos in the morning. And then you can joke with people, you can reply to people, you can ask them for more information about what they tried and it becomes a much more genuine conversation. Kind of goes back to that thing I said to an earlier question where we sometimes want to be the cool girl when we're online and we can be really tempted to put captions that kind of hold something back and present a front of ourselves that feels more acceptable and I think partly it's just a kind of a it's like the register of social media so this is the language we tend to use and we see everybody else doing it so we fall into it and we'll say "Ugh, Monday so tired because that's how everybody else talks on social media and actually there's a real power in stepping away from that and going back to being a human and saying oh my gosh I'm so tired and I've tried this and this and this and nothing's working can anybody help me that immediately jumps out at people because they see a real human is talking for a change and then once you've posted that caption that feels a bit more vulnerable send the post to your friends so within Instagram there's that little paper airplane under your post and you can use that to send that to anybody you know on Instagram anyone you've got a bit of an Instagram friendship with and send them a message and say I've posted something I'm scared I'll get no comments and just crickets please will you reply Instagram by the way will not penalize you for that I know a lot of people are terrified that if they send their own posts via direct message Instagram will somehow know and discount any engagement they get that doesn't happen Instagram are fine with you sharing your own posts that's why they put the paper airplane under your pictures and what can be really nice is that you will immediately get a few responses to that conversation so other people coming to the page have got more to reply to than just your initial one they can say I agree with so and so or I tried that too it didn't work for me and it gets things moving. Saoirse Mack said Can you be successful without curating your Instagram if individual pictures are done well? 
or do you have to restrict to a really tight aesthetic theme to build followers, engagement and brand love? The answer to this I would say is yes, you can, but you do need to have naturally quite a good eye for it. So you don't need to be hyper stylized, you don't need to have a super overly considered and planned feed, but you do need to know like when your white balance is off or when your editing is looking really different to what you usually do, or when something is totally off-brand. What I find is some of us have a really intuitive sense for that. You know when you go to someone's house and everything in it is them, it just represents them, their wardrobe is totally them, you see something in a shop and you know immediately that that is something they would like or dislike. Other people are a bit more of a mishmash of different styles, and maybe they're still figuring it out. Because we have to hone our tastes, we have to refine it over time and that is the reason why if you want to be a fashion designer you go and study fashion that's the reason why if you want to be a photographer you go and study photography we have to build our eye up for these things so don't feel bad if you don't have that immediate sense of your own unique style and taste but building that up is a huge advantage in establishing any brand on any platform So what that looks like in the day-to-day is to maybe say, okay, I've taken this picture, but the light is all wrong for my feed and I know I can't share it, so not doing. It's also the way I kind of curate my feed, and I use that word inverted comments, is I literally, like, I have a picture I want to post that day, so I'll post it, but then I look at it and think, okay, we've got a bit of yellow going on here. I'm going to keep an eye out for more yellow over the next few days because I want to balance that out. Also, it can be things like, knowing that the pizza you took a picture of even though it's a beautiful picture doesn't go with your feed if you normally only talk about wholesome living and plants I don't think there's anything wrong with pizza but it's knowing that if something's totally off-brand and off-message for you that it's going to jar with what you're trying to create and that it might cause people to feel like they don't really understand what you're all about one picture here and there is no big deal but if that's consistent and I land on your page and it's 50% beautiful organic pictures and 50% selfies in dark bars I'm going to immediately think that I don't know what it is you're about. There is a great book that I recommend. Saspetherick recommended it to me actually for finding that style and I have forgotten the name. It's by Danielle Laporte and it's something about finding your style. It's maybe just called style. I will link to it in the show notes because I have got it as an ebook so I will link to the title and the Amazon listing if you want to buy it. It's not very expensive as a digital download like just a couple of pounds and it asks you a whole book's worth of questions to help you really refine your visual style so that you know what it is you're about, you know what message you're trying to convey. And quite often that is enough to give you that consistency in whatever you're doing. So in your Instagram gallery or in your blog posts without you having to put all that thought and planning into it. All that she said, um, how do you manage to cram everything in your podcasts, courses, blog posts, Instagram posts, Twitter updates, Facebook groups, while still being an awesome mother to Orla? Just how? What's your secret? So first of all, I'm not an awesome mother. That's probably the secret. I'm a good enough mother because that's all I can manage. And I read it once in a book and it made an awful lot of sense to me. And I reckon it probably messes your kids up less in the long run than trying to be perfect. And then secondly, remember, I've been blogging for years and writing for even longer. So the actual writing of things like courses and blog posts is pretty quick for me now. I think it's Janet Murray that says somewhere that you know you're a writer when you can just bang it out in half an hour no matter what's going on. So what takes time for me is the thinking and the planning and the building up of all that knowledge that I put into those things and that's what I'm doing every time I hang out on Twitter or when I talk to my Facebook groups or do a live question and answer or chat to you guys on Instagram. So those things that look like I'm just having fun, well I 
am, but none of them are just like a box ticking exercise. I'm never just like, oh, I need to tweet for today. They're always part of the bigger picture for me. Like I can't even tell you how much I've learned about algorithms and social media by fangirling on Mark Hamill on Twitter, as ridiculous as that sounds. Like I learned what makes a post prioritize in someone's newsfeed. I learned what people were doing that was making their posts disappear. I learned that how Twitter blocks people from appearing on your timeline and what behavior makes that happen, how you can affect that by the way you behave on social media. And of course, all of that has loads of carryover onto Instagram. So it means I have insight into the Instagram algorithm in ways that people who are only on that platform perhaps don't. So if anybody would like an e-course on getting in the face of your favorite celebrity idol on Twitter, let me know because I could totally write that course now. Also remember, I have a chronic illness, so I need to lie down and sleep for like an hour for every three or four hours where I'm upright and active. That's not an exaggeration, just ask my husband. So I tend to work in bursts of activity and then I take necessary, slightly exhausted break because that's all I've ever known how to do. One of my rules for pretty much everything is if it takes me more than five minutes, it's not going to happen. And I'd love to say that that was just an amazing mental discipline that I've somehow formulated, but actually I'm just insanely impatient. So if I try and style a picture and I can't get it in five minutes, I've lost interest and I'm mad and I have to walk away. So that's probably the other answer is if it takes me too long, I'm not going to do it. So I've learned to just get it done and done is better than perfect. I haven't written down the name of who asked this, so I'm sorry, but it's linked and it's someone said that they would love to know how you separate your time between different social media places i.e answering questions and networking on instagram on twitter and blogging and everywhere else so mainly i just go where my heart takes me which is probably terrible strategy wise but that is the only way i know how to be and i just have to follow my interest Um, I try and blog once a week. This podcast obviously goes out once a week. And I have that intuitive sense, I'm sure everybody does, of when I've not been somewhere enough. So I'll think, oh my gosh, my Instagram, I've not been posting there. I feel like I'm really letting that slide and I'll give it a bit more of my focus. Twitter for me is such a joy. I really love hanging out on Twitter. It's kind of like my water cooler for my working day. It's where I go and chat to other people. If you're not on Twitter, come and find me and come and hang out because it is just a fun place to be, I think. Naomi Bull just said she'd love some tips on how to avoid being pigeonholed while still needing to grow. So when one kind of image brings growth and most others seem to send you backwards. This is a great question. This is something we look at a lot on the Insta retreat as well. And my answer is to stay diverse. So don't follow the likes. Don't just do whatever people want you to do. But try and distill the essence of what makes those posts successful into more of your posts. So you can do one from time to time as kind of a people pleaser, like a loss leader that brings people in. But the rest of the time you want to be thinking about what your core content is, what you want to be creating and how you can give it a flavor of those really popular posts. So talking again about my course at Bloom and Grow, that is all about looking at this we know that flowers work on Instagram really well so how can we use that without feeling like we have to go all out flower flat lay for every post not every post needs to be petals on the table can we still use some of that power of those of the engagement of those posts to make our more general posts the posts that are more on topic for us still have a flavor of it so those results might not be huge spikes in the same way as those super floral shots but they keep those users engaged they keep them visiting your feed and meanwhile you get to share your true content so you kind of merge the two and that's a really good strategy for growth while staying true to your core values 
Okay, so the final question that I will answer today is from Xanthi. And she said, if you could swap places for one week with someone you follow on Instagram or online, who would it be and why? Can I say Mark Hamill? Um, No, probably one of the dreamy Japanese Instagrammers shooting on film who I just adore. I link to them quite a lot on my blog. So I will link in the show notes over to those posts again. I would love to be able to see light the way they do to create the beautiful art that they create and just to explore that landscape that is so different to anything I get to see and just live a totally different life for a week. And also I'd presumably be able to speak Japanese by the end of that week, which would be an advantage. Okay, I have to go and pick up my daughter. So I'm going to end this here. But if you have more questions, then feel free to send them my way. You can tweet them to me at me and Orla or come find me on Instagram where I'm me and all are with underscores in between all the words and let me know what you thought about the format of this episode is it good having a question and answer now and again is it a bit harder to listen to I know some people love them on other podcasts and sometimes they kind of turn people off so feel free to tell me honestly what you thought and if it was helpful I will be back next week with an interview episode again thank you so much for listening and I'll see you then So that is all I have time for today. There are still a heap of questions left. So like I said, let me know what you think. You can tweet me at me and Orla, or you can find me on Instagram where I'm me and Orla with underscores in between. And let me know if you would like more episodes like this, or if it was a little bit hard to follow and you prefer the interview format, I am open to your suggestions. As always, I will write everything up for show notes and they will be at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 17. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week. Thank you.